Welcome to another episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today, our guest is Sebastian from TriggerMesh. He's the CEO of TriggerMesh. Welcome, Sebastian. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Very happy to be here. I'm not the CEO. I'm the co-founder and oh. I, uh, CTO, uh, VP of Engineering, uh, VP Product. We'll just and call you Chief, Chief Man. <laughs> Mark Inkle, my co-founder, is the is the CEO. Is in the okay. US. I, I apologize for that. I did not know that. I probably should have done more research before I uh, before I said that. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. No, but we're very excited to have you here today. You know, you've done a lot within the cloud native space. Um, so we're very excited to talk about all the different things that you've done, and uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of history how how this you know particular journey began. Just to start off. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I love the history of tech and, and so on. So this could, you know, this could take a while, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> let, let's try Let's try to keep it short. Uh, yeah. Trigger Mesh, we do cloud native integration, uh, which means that we help enterprise build event driven applications. Okay. So it's all about event, event management uh, in, in the cloud. And, and really where this started is that uh, late 2016, early 2017, uh, there was a bit of a, you know, not a war, but there was a little bit of tension between people using serverless, especially on AWS with Lambda, and then people containerizing application and using Kubernetes, right? And then some folks were saying, oh, we're gonna jump over the entire container you know, phase, and we're gonna go straight serverless. And that's when I created Kubeless, uh, one of the first FAS framework uh, function as a service. And really the goal was to show that if you wanted AWS Lambda-like capability on-premise, uh, you could do it on top of Kubernetes, all right? And, and then the big kicker, you know, when people think serverless, you know, a lot of people equate this with functions. But really the key that, that we saw at Trigger Mesh, and that's really the journey we embarked on, is that the key of, of serverless to us is really eventing. How do you build event-driven applications in the cloud, right? How do you link services together? How do you, you know, uh, trigger execution of workload or functions when specific things happen in your data center or on different SaaS and so on? So that's that's why we we decided to do trigger mesh to help solve that problem. That's awesome. I mean, so, you know, it, it brings us back to an interesting point. So let's, let's, first of all, for our listeners, let's define what is the difference between, um, you know, serverless, FAS, Kubernetes, all these kinds of things. So obviously we start with Kubernetes. That's the, that's the base. Well, actually you could, you could argue you start with a VM or even a bare metal first, but, what do you what what are the what are the different um pieces there just for our listeners yeah so you know originally i come from virtual machine orchestration so i did a lot of work on on running vms in the data center at, at large scale i had the chance to to prototype the you know one of the first clouds at cern uh you know they had 500 machines uh that they were burning 500 servers and uh and we started you know installing zen on them and then finding ways to start, you know, 10,000 VMs and, you know, on, on all those machines and so on. So anyway, that I, I really come from, you know, low-level infrastructure uh, world. And, and what happened is that, you know, let's, let, let's try to, to, to speed up history a little bit. But 
when Docker reinvented containers, right? Uh, I think what, you know, even though they made a lot of developers happy, uh, at the beginning, at least, they missed the data center world and the way of, you know, how applications run in the data center. The, you know, the Docker folks didn't really have that, that DNA, I think, about, of, uh, uh, you know, orchestrating things in the data center, managing the apps really in, in the data center on multiple machines. So that's where Kubernetes really, you know, helped. And that's, that's what I saw very early on that, you know, Google was pretty much, I mean, they were rewriting their internal system, Borg. Uh, they were rewriting it in the open and they were sharing that with everybody, yeah. right? So, so then instead of, you know, now dealing with VMs, you can deal with containers, you can benefit from Kubernetes, which is, you know, system inspired by, you know, Google and, all the lessons that they've learned, you know, managing containerized application. So now you go up the stack from the infra and the VM. So now you're dealing with containers, you're managing them, orchestrating them. But what are you doing? You're really building apps, right? So you go one level up and, you know, what are, you know, what are people really trying to do? They are trying to deploy apps that are containerized. So now you're talking PaaS, you're talking platform as a service, right? One level up. And when you look at this spectrum of paths, uh, you know you have things like Cloud Foundry, right? And then you know if you if you really you know go down the, the that spectrum and you 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 look at apps and you decompose them in very tiny you know we call that business logic, you end up with uh, a path that manages little functions, and that's when serverless comes into play. So serverless to me is on the spectrum of paths uh, and and when you think about hey how you how do you do serverless in your data center well you know it, it's somehow it's going to run on containers and it's going to be orchestrated by kubernetes under the hood and it could run on bare metal or it could run on vm right yeah so it's it's interesting so we had uh matthias um uh billman on the other day of netlify who, uh, who, you know, he has, he has that whole, um, I, f I forget what stack it is, but the, he has a, a, a stack that's on there. His argument is that the developer really just wants to consume things the easiest way possible. So they don't want to understand the infrastructure. They don't want to understand, you know, everything about that. If they could just consume an API that does something for them, consume an API for a database, consume an API for this, uh, they really don't want to, they want to abstract away everything possible. So that's really where I think FAS comes into play is that really they don't have to think about everything underneath. So would you agree that developers, you know, are, are kind of abstracting away more and more of that kind of infrastructure and that's really where they want to play? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would nuance that a little bit, but it's true that, you know, the less you have to deal with, uh, you know, the, 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 the better, right? Uh, you know, if, you, if you're a developer trying to deploy a, a web app, you don't want to be installing a kernel right and yeah. and go up the stack you know until you reach managing your managing your app so if you look at the cloud when the cloud started you know 2005 2006 or you know or so the and 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 we try to define what is cloud computing you know uh it was re really utility computing and then elasticity mm -hmm. so this concept that hey you want servers you should be able to just you know plug right plug in the wall you get your server and if you need more servers, they're just going to show up magically, <laughs> right? 
So even the vision of the cloud was exactly this, was I don't care how you provision them, you know, just, just give me an API where I can get as many servers as I want. I can get as much storage as I want. I can, I can uh, configure my network the way I want, right? Software-defined networking. So it's this idea of, yeah, I, I don't want to do it. I just, you know, I just want you to provide it to me through an API, right? Yeah. Infrastructure layer. Now you go one level higher, you, you start talking paths and, you know, the, the people you're dealing with are really developers instead of being sysadmins or operators. If you're trying to, you know, if you talk to developers really of apps, of end user uh, apps, that they, they don't care whether it's a container or a VM. They just, they just want to deploy. Right? <laughs> here, is, here is my Ruby code. Here is my PHP code. Here is my whatever code. Deploy it. Keep the runtime secure. Scale if I'm requesting more resources. Give me more storage if the app needs more storage. You know. Yep. So yeah, I you know I I agree. Developers don't want to 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 worry, and they want this magical feeling of of serverless. That's why you know that's why uh, Lambda has, has taken off. But it's not really new when you. That's exactly Heroku. That's exactly App Engine. You know, it's yep. it's all of of those systems. Do, right? do you think that um, that lack of caring has made like some developers lazy? In terms I think developers were lazy. I don't think that's <laughs> anything. Me as a developer, okay, I would phrase more lazy, more lazy. Yeah, but I think that that's, you know, that's if you're a good developer. This is this is my argument. If you're a good developer, you're going to take advantage of what's out there. That's that's what developers do. They try and optimize. They yeah, try but, Throughout things, and they want to no, get the I, as fast as possible. <laughs> I, I like your question, Justin. I, I think you're. I think you're right on, and I can. I can sense the, uh, you know, somebody who is closer to the infrastructure, maybe. <laughs> but no, I actually, you know, I agree with you. We have to be extremely. We have to be extremely careful because, uh, uh, that that's what's going on with uh, with containers, right? So suddenly there was this amazing UX created by Docker. There was Oh, let me Docker pool this app, right? And let me bundle it, you know, and then add my add my NPMs on top of it, and so on. And and then suddenly, what what do you have? Well, you end up having you know proliferation of bunch of container images. You don't know where they come from. You don't know what's in them, and things like this. So it has made things much easier. But if you don't have good hygiene. Yep. You know, it's really not going to help you, right? So you still need to have, you know, continuous scanning. You still need to have, you know, how do you handle, you know, the, your CV patching of your libraries and, and whatnot, right? And, you know, the, the also one of the reasons why developers jumped on, on Docker is that they felt that they would have more control towards what was going to run in prod, right? And they, and they said, oh, well, you know, ah, just run my container. It was just the same thing when they said, hey, just run my jar, right? <laughs> and in companies, you had those big silos and people, well, you know, throwing jars, you know, above the above the wall and run my jar. So now, you know, it's like, hey, here's my container, run it. So I would tend to agree with you, Justin, even though a lot of people are going to, you know, use a stick and, and beat on us for it. But I think you still have to use the same good practices to make sure that, Absolutely. you know, you... you you don't have security issues. You follow best practices and so on. Otherwise, you know, yes, it becomes very easy to generate a mess. So going back, going back to um, you know, trigger mesh and eventing. What problem does that solve, and how does that help the the common person that is 
obviously using APIs, using containers, using things like this. What do, what do you see the main use cases and, and why, and basically why did it come about? Yeah, so exact. You know, it's exactly what what we're talking about. Is you know, as a as a dev, you know, what what are you trying to do, and what is your app going to look like, you know, in the cloud era, and then you know, over the next you know ten fifteen years, right? What what is an app, you know? And uh, a couple of years back, there was this great talk from Patrick Debois, who is one of the founders of the the DevOps movement, and. Uh, you know, he was giving this talk saying, hey, you know, now when I'm writing a, an application, it's full of services, right? What he meant by this is that, you know, he's using S3, he's using Comprehend, he's using, you know, uh, you know BigQuery, you know, maybe different clouds, right? He's, he's picking the best of, you know, all words out, out there, services that come from different, you know, SaaS providers and, you know, the, your big cloud providers. But then he's having to compose those services. Very much what we were doing when, you know, you folks know Web 2.0, right? Web 2.0 mashups, right? <laughs> Yahoo pipes and all that, all that, you know, all that stuff that was which was great. So that's exactly what devs are doing these days, I think. You know, they, you write less monolith in Java, and then in the cloud era, you compose cloud services together. And what you may end up having to write, you know, on your own is going to be, you know, smaller footprint. Could even be, you know, a function, right? So the world of devs is serviceful, right? <laughs> you know, serverless but serviceful. Yep. And you know, what do you what do you give to devs to be able to build those those serviceful applications? Well, you give them a way to uh, stitch events together, to stitch notifications from cloud services together, uh, and you you give that to them through an API, right? So that's what we saw at TriggerMesh. We're trying to help developers build event-driven applications in the cloud era, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and, and I would argue that it's actually a great time for it because right now I think that people are, are moving more towards the cloud native than to an actual cloud. So people are trying to pick up that style. And really, you know, a new term I actually heard the other day was a uh, cloud native data center. And I kind of like that term because, you know, what it means is that we're taking the, the cloud native, you know, workflow and functionality off of the public cloud and making it available. And, and I think this is what people want, making it available in the private cloud because people really, what we talked about is they want that ease of use. They want to be able to just consume something by spinning it up. They want the catalog. So they want, you know, they want a base to start with. And, and you know, me being a developer, you know, in, in my, in <laughs> a while back too, I understand that the motivation there, you know, you're trying to get an app out as fast as possible. If you could find an easier way to do it, you're going to naturally migrate to that because it's going to be easier. It's going to make your life easier. So I think that, you know, having something like Trigger Mesh makes sense because now you're this intermediary between public, private, APIs, all these other kinds of things that you might need to work with. Even things like, you know, Kafka buses and queues and, and all these other kinds of things that we have that we're working with these days. So I think it's actually a great time for something like Trigger Mesh to be around um, because historically, there, you know, you would go to like some of the open source orchestrators that were out there before, but they weren't necessarily cloud native. They were very, you know, just, okay, if, if this, then that kind of thing that, yeah. you know, wasn't really as scalable. So where do you see 
you know, I'm getting to the long winded here. Uh, where do no, you that's good. That's good. The, I, you um, know, you should you should come uh, pitch trigger match to customers with us. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you see the uh, you know where do you see all, all of this moving? Where do you do you agree with what I'm saying that you know people are really want that cloud native type functionality wherever they are and just consume it the same ways? Yeah, so one one big belief with you know with Mark when we when we started Trigger Mash is that you know even though we are cloud you know big cloud guys big cloud proponents uh, and you know pub, public clouds and we've seen public clouds come into play, we also believe that uh, most big enterprises they're gonna keep a lot of on-premises uh, systems. You know, so. It, even even if you know those big companies that they, they have cloud public cloud adoption you know going on uh, you know right now they're gonna keep some uh, some on premise could be for you know security and audit reasons compliance reasons you know could be could be for cost reasons uh, you know things like this could be because of you know legacy you know there there are many different reasons you know. Uh, for you know why they they are keeping that right and you know a, a big bank a big pharma company they're not suddenly going to just go hundred percent in in public cloud um, so now you know you you see this hybrid hybrid world right and by hybrid we mean that you know a big company they're going to use something like you know Salesforce right and they're going to send metrics to Datadog. Right, because they they recognize Datadog as a as a great service to store metrics and so on, and maybe you know they want to to, to delegate you know the management of their Elasticsearch cluster to Elastic, right? Uh, and then on premise they still have some some Cisco UCS racks and 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 whatnot, right? So that's the world that they're facing. It's very multi cloud. It's it's very hybrid, and that's where that's where we fit in, right? Uh, you know we help. Uh, we help people, for example, take uh, events from Salesforce and inject them in their Kafka-based uh, infrastructure. Uh, we help PNC uh, Bank with their DevOps governance, and they, you know, they take events from everywhere in their build pipeline, and then they, they trigger, you know, risk analysis on demand, right? So you have this this world that's a mix of, you know, cloud services. Uh, still a bit of on-prem, and you need to, you know, you need to, to, yeah, stitch that together in a way that it doesn't become a ball of spaghetti. That's the big challenge, right? It's not just little glue here and there that's unmanageable, uh, and that's really where we see the strengths of Kubernetes, of uh, <laughs> Trigger Mesh. Sorry, <laughs> Kubernetes as well, but Trigger Mesh yeah. is that to to make that stitching happening and and for that stitching to be manageable, you need a clean API, and if we're you know very techy, that's where I said declarative API, and then my uh, you know VP of Sales Gary is you know hitting me with a stick because nobody understands declarative API, Sebastian. I'm like, yes, people do. So you need a very clean declarative API uh, that, where you're going to be able to describe, hey, I got events from Salesforce, put them in Kafka for me, and then if the event has those fields in the metadata, then also stick it in Elasticsearch. Would you, would you say like Trigger Mesh in many ways abstracts uh, some of the cloud native services uh, like lock-in? And what I mean by that is, you know, we're seeing a lot of customers with this utopian idea of um, I can put stuff in AWS and then I can just really easily port it to Amazon, I mean, to uh, Azure or whatever. 
And, and that's not as simple as like that. You're consuming AWS service, you know, you're consuming Lambda and you want to move that, that function to Azure functions or whatever. There is some manipulation there. So do you see, and, and that might not be the best example in your situation, but do you see uh, customers that are consuming services and leveraging trigger mesh to sort of be that bridge between different services, uh, making it more abstracted so they can, you know, make changes if they want to? Uh, so I don't think we have the, 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 the real use case of, you know, avoiding, avoiding lock-in. I think, you know, when people, when people say, oh, I need to avoid lock-in personally, I think that it's a bit of a, you know, marketing fear, uh, you know, mostly. And, and I, I personally don't see it, you know, when talking to, talking to customers and users at conferences and so on, uh, but what I do see, yes, is it's, it's, it's people, uh, you know, maybe using uh, some AWS because S3 is just, you know, everywhere and it's easy. And okay, so fine, you're using S3, but then maybe you want to use uh, an AI, uh, you know, machine learning service that that you're running, you know, uh, on-prem, right? And we did, you know, <clears throat> a pretty big demo uh, on this right now, right? So. People, people mix and match services, they, and you know, uh, not not for lock-in reason, but really much more for ease of convenience. I think. Yeah, you know. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, that goes back to what we were talking about. It's just that developers want that ease. You know, whatever's going to make it the easiest to deploy and yeah. consistently, and you know, with the, also security is a concern there, obviously. So you want to make sure your APIs are secure. What you know, and this this is funny that you know I, I've I've had other talks about this, but you know, in this API world, how is the, how do people ensure that all these APIs are maintained and that they're secure and that the, the whole pipeline through everything? I mean, that's an app in itself that that you could probably create is is you know verifying each of these APIs that you connect to and make sure that they're somehow secure. Um, you know. <laughs> oh, and and versioned and and, and everything. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah. But it's funny to go back to what you were talking about before a little bit before you talked about security versus. Um, you know, uh, on-prem versus the cloud. And I always have this conversation and I felt like in the, in the beginning on-prem was definitely more secure, but I'm kind of at the point now where I almost feel like the cloud, even though people don't think so is probably at a more secure state, you know, from the beginning than some, than a lot of businesses are in their, in their, you know, on-prem because a lot of businesses don't have the right people to kind of evaluate that and to create that state. So I kind of feel like cloud, it's turning a little bit. Maybe cloud is a little bit more secure, you know, from the, from the get-go. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just taking a very personal, you know, very personal uh, data point, right? I use, uh, I use Google Drive, uh, you know, for my, for my personal stuff. So, you know, I've been working on the Mac Air for a long time. People are always surprised, <laughs> but you know that's that's what I use. And then you know most of my files, I just keep a few files on my desktop. But then most of my files are in my Google Drive, and I have this you know Google backup you know thingy. Uh, and I do think that you know it's actually much more secure than if I was keeping you know even even a local backup or something. Uh, you know I, I actually trust you know Google or Dropbox to do a better job at keeping my file secure. I mean, I'm, you know, some people are not going to be happy with this, but <laughs> I know. agree. I mean, I, I think that even from like a EC2 or, or, you know, from a Kubernetes, you know, you have security policies and VPCs and all these extra layers, uh, you know, network ACLs, you know, you have all these things that you can configure 
uh, to make it more secure out of the box than you would, you know, obviously you need a little bit of skill set there, but I think even without it, you know, I feel like you're a little bit more secure in, in like a, like yeah, I would make the argument, Michael, that, uh, that, that little bit of skill set part is what causes the problems because then yeah. people get lazy and go, well, I'll just allow all, it's not a big deal. And yeah, that's yeah. Where with these that, hacks and things like that. And you know, that, that is, that is not new and not specific to the cloud, right? We used right. to. Yep. You know, we used to exchange root credentials, you know, <laughs> and and we used to run everything as root. Okay, let's not, you know, fool ourselves, right? right. Uh, you know, uh, so, and, and now what do you have? Well, we don't run things as root, but, you know, everybody has root privileges in, in, in your IAM profile. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but uh, it can be much more secure, uh, but you can also, you know, you can also be be, be lazy, right? Yeah. What I find fascinating, though, is that when we, when if you look at what you're hearing from the big clouds and and even, you know, from from your competitor VMware and and maybe you can you can add to what you're doing with the, the big cloud providers, uh, the, the the public cloud are also just becoming, you know, what we would call managed services, right? So you want a data center, well, just just buy almost a little data center, you know, on Google or on AWS, create a, you know, private link or a direct, you know, direct link, you know, and they're basically pulling fiber from their zone to, to you. And then, you know, you're in the cloud. Well, you're not really in the cloud. You're, you know, you're running your infra over there, right? You're paying for a very expensive uh, a data center in, in yeah. Texas or wherever. Yeah. And that was... That was really the thing a few, a few years back when, when cloud first came out, you know, the CI, every CIO in the world said, okay, we're going to be cloud first. What does that mean? Okay. That means that everybody's going to try and get their legacy app pushed up to the cloud. They're not going to refactor it into microservices. So what you really have is a very expensive second data center. And of course they all say, oh yeah, well, we'll get, we'll get to that part. We'll get there. We'll, uh, mm. we'll, we'll refactor that later. And how many of them have to have pulled back now, you know? <laughs> So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. problem. Yeah. No, but there there yeah, go ahead, Justin. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, but there you know, I mean, of course, there are lots of things that idiosyncrasies or, so, or you know things like this. But you know, a recent example that you know, I was talking with some folks that that use uh, you know DB two IBM DB two database on mainframe, and you know, a very big problem that they're having is that you know they're coming up with new offerings for their for their customers. And that's that's generating a bunch of transactions on the mainframe, which is costing them a lot of money, right? So to avoid that explosion of cost on the mainframe, which they cannot get rid of, they need to create read-only replicas of the you know DB2 uh, database, right? And you know what what's best? Well, the best is to actually replicate your DB2 in the cloud, right? And then your new services, they are cloud services, and they hit the the the, the cloud database, right? So, you know, you have some very, you know, clean, you know, definitely uh, uh, reasons to move to the cloud and do it and, and do it properly. And, you know, of course, thank God. Right. Uh, uh, but, you know, the, the, the whole field is definitely fascinating. And by the way, Trigger Mesh, we help with that DB2 to cloud uh, <laughs> you know, replication. Justin, sorry, we kept cutting you off. That's okay. No, I wanted to ask a question just to appease uh, uh, Gary as well. And and could you just maybe for our listeners define what you mean by declarative API so that uh, there's no <laughs> oh yeah there's no ambiguity. Right. So one one big 
one big shift that Kubernetes has, has brought to uh, you know to the, the, the technology landscape is really the idea that when you think about your app, you describe your app as a set of API objects. You say, "Hey, my app is composed of." You know, there is something running in this little container. There may be a database, and I need I need networking to go through here, and then maybe I need to access this other service over there, right? So you think about your app and all the different pieces that make your app, uh, and you declare that you define that using a set of API objects, right? And then once you've done that, you say, "Hey, this is my desired state," right? And you give it to Kubernetes, right? That's what we say, apply. You say, hey, Kubernetes, apply my desired state, right? So you declare the desired state of your application, and then you just let you know Kubernetes do its job and, and, and put everything in, in place, right? Uh, so it's through that, you know, all those control loops called Kubernetes controllers, right? So it's it's this mindset which you know to me was really fascinating and that was really you know something that i think kubernetes really pushed and and really uh you know evangelized even if i can use the world with the world right and i think it's really really good uh you know what is my app what should my app look like well my app should look like this and i have a set of apis that help me describe that desired state right and then i just trust the system to you, know, do it. We, you you find you find things like this in in land of infrastructure as code with puppet and and chef and so on right yeah so so i would uh sorry to cut you off uh i would i'm very excited about that so i think yeah. you know kubernetes is morphing though i so it was about infrastructures and you know apps and things like that and now i think with things like crossplane you know, now you're adding like this whole, okay, let's manage other things. Let's make Kubernetes the control plane, this API control plane for everything else. You know, let's, yep. it, let's bring it up for cloud providers. Let's create, you know, uh, you know, define CRDs and define templates for, you know, your whole uh, solution sets, you know. So I feel like Kubernetes is going to morph into more of that control plane, kind of the API control plane for everything. Yeah, that's what it is. That's why people <laughs> call Kubernetes... You know the data center control plane, uh, or even the you know the cloud control plane, if you wish. So, you know, actually now we're talking. So, what have we done at Trigger Mesh? We've built a set of API objects, right? So we've built a declarative API, implemented by you know a set of Kubernetes controllers, right? And those APIs they allow you to say, hey, you know, I have events coming from Salesforce. I need to enrich them with additional metadata, maybe filter some content, and then I need to send them to my you know, Kafka topic, right? So this is the flow that you're trying to do. This is the event flow that you're trying to do. You use our API, then you apply it, right? And then you know, the flow is, is managed declaratively, right? That, makes, so that you, makes a lot of sense. So you can do that for you know, a simple event flow across multiple clouds, or you can do that for, you know, much more advanced what we call bridge or integration right if you need you know events from sonarcube and bitbucket and jenkins that are going here and there and then you know when this happens you need to trigger a serverless function and then the results need to go back in another kafka topic and then you know then you store the results for backup in elastic right if you have some a flow like this 
that's much more complex, you can use our API to do this. And to your and to your point, uh, you know, Mike, what's very interesting is that um, uh, Google has indeed uh, how do they call it? I think Google Connector. So it's a Kubernetes-like API to their cloud services. Um, AWS has I don't think it's CDK, but uh, they also have a Kubernetes-like interface to their services. Azure has the same thing, right? So you're you're seeing more and more, uh, you know, cloud providers offer a, basically an open API, you know, schema to their services. So there is some standardization happening, uh, and it's becoming much more uh, of a declarative, you know, mindset. And I think it's going to help everybody. Right? I, I totally agree. I think that it's it's interesting because you know I always go through my cloud native deck, and in the beginning I, descri- I describe how. You know, you had these monolithic kind of applications before, and they would call APIs, and they would be more local. And you would just have like, you know, you would just come into a web server, and and all the different APIs would just be glued together internally. But fast forward to today, you've taken those, abstracted them out by function. They're all little microservices now, and you need a way to communicate with those microservices and the APIs. And that's really the reason for your whole application is that, hey, we've blown up what an application is to this wider, you know, kind of construct. And now you need a way to what we used to call glue code to glue Mm -hmm. code it together, you know, using some kind of technology. And that's really where where, you know, your 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 solution comes into play there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's exactly it. So (laughs) that's that's trigger mesh and this. You know, very, you know, people ask about use cases. So definitely, you know, very simple or I shouldn't say simple, but straightforward, you know, uh, data pipeline almost, or, you know, even flow from A to B, like I mentioned, you know, Salesforce to Kafka, for example, you know, is one, uh, you know, uh, a cloud, you know, uh, Cisco cloud metrics going to Datadog, you know, for example, you know, that could be another one. So, you know, those are, you know, those are, you know, typical pipeline, but that can be implemented declaratively. And I think it's very excited, you know, versus letting developers write that stuff on their own and write the connectors on their own, write the flow on their own, letting them handle it on their own. You know, we, we provide that. And then there is really the full-blown event-driven application, you know, things we've done with PNC and then, you know, other folks where, you know, now you have, you know, more complex, you know, flows, multiple sources, multiple syncs, event filtering, you know, event splitting, uh, triggering functions, you know, in the cloud, on-prem, right? But the the same idea can, can apply where, you know, you declare that desired state and that's it. Yeah, that's really cool. So, so where, uh, where do you see trigger mesh? You know, going. We've got uh, uh, KubeCon coming up here in a week or two, whatever. Uh, where do you see you know Trigger Mesh in the next, say, twelve months? Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know when you're going to uh, release this, but yeah, we're gonna make a, a big announcement at KubeCon. So I'll, you know, stay stay tuned. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make a, a big move at at KubeCon. We are very excited about it. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot more people are going to be able to consume our. A beautiful declarative API to to build those event flows. They're gonna be able to try it on their own. They're gonna be able to help us, uh, you know, uh, develop it, test it, and uh, you know, use it. 
so yeah, we're we're very excited about you know what's what's gonna happen uh, at KubeCon and uh, and beyond. Uh, and then you know of course we have you know partnership with uh, Cisco here, so it's going to be exciting to see you know trigger mesh being used in in IKS. And I really you know look forward to this over the next you know three, four, six months. Uh, you know, getting some events from from Intersight and uh, and building some interesting uh, event-driven application. That's that's going to be exciting. Technically, you know, technically on the the technical roadmap, we have you know uh, two. I want to say yeah, two two big things going. We have an exciting platform that's that's still in in preview, which helps people build their own connector. Uh, and and that's that's an exciting uh, system where you know you may say hey I just have a I just have a container right and it could be written in Ruby and whatever and then we say oh no problem give us your container and we can plug it into you know our entire infrastructure and it's going to become a source or it's going to become an event target right so we have we have this in uh you know in private preview right now which is you know pretty pretty exciting it's a very nice very nice system that's uh you know that that has a lot of promise and then we are doing a lot of work on you know uh what I would call a visual editor uh to help people you know who may not want to go you know deep into actually writing uh you know writing the APIs or using our description language till uh, we're, we're developing a pretty powerful canvas so that you can, you know, drag and drop cloud services from multiple clouds, from you know IKS, and then uh, you know build your 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 EDA on your own. So, yeah, it's gonna be busy, busy times over the next you know six wow. to eight months. Startup life, but exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Justin and I always talk about it. We say, you know, what's you know, with OpenAPI and all these specs that are out there now, you know, why is it that it's so hard still to just say, hey, I want to attach to this API, pull down the information. I want to attach to this API, pull down that information, do a little transformation in between and and have that go together. And I think you guys answer a lot of that. But uh, before that, it was it was extremely hard, you know, and it's and it's something that it seems so logical that why, why isn't everybody doing that already, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the original, you know, iPaaS vendor integration, you know, vendors, MuleSoft and Boomi and so on, they've you know yeah. they've done a lot of work in that area, uh, and and you know we 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 attack that same that same problem, but you know with a a different mindset, a much more you know cloud cloud first mindset, and uh, and I think it changes you know it changes uh, things and it changes yeah the the, the approach right so. You know, for us, it's it's uh, you know, yeah, API first. You know, what's the schema? A schema registry, uh, event type registry, and then you know, transforming everything, uh, you know, declaratively. And uh, I think it's you know, it's going to be a big a big boost for folks, uh, you know, in the coming coming six months to a year. And, and just one more question, then I'll then I'll get to sorry, Justin. Unbelievable. Why does everybody have such a hard time writing an open API spec? Why is it always so bad? You know, like it's you never get like a great API spec. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you should ask, you know, uh, some of the some of the developers on uh, on our team. They are really, really good at it, <laughs> and much better, much better, you know, than me. You know, I, right now I spend most of my time, you know, in meetings and 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 doing presentations and so on. But we we have folks that are extremely good at it. That's awesome. Uh, our Kubernetes controllers are, you know, very top top quality and our crds are our crds are amazing we did something very nice lately is that as we are preparing for you know uh, an announcement at kubecon we we went through all our kubernetes you know resource definitions and we added description to every field in the you know in the in the crds so that when you do kube control explain for example uh, kube control explain salesforce source or kube control explain AWS SQS source, you get the documentation right there, and that comes straight up from the CRD. All right. Thank you. So I, I think it's a it's a very nice touch. That's awesome. So, uh, Sebastian, just a, a couple minutes left here. Um, where can people go to get more info about you or TriggerMesh or any other exciting things that you want to point them to? TriggerMesh.com for sure, and then GitHub.com github.com slash trigger mesh right our our github uh, our github organization and uh yeah as hinted there's going to be some uh, some very interesting movement going on in github.com slash uh, trigger mesh and then twitter at trigger mesh and you guys so you have a booth at uh kubecon yeah we have a booth uh i cannot go because you know still close to europeans uh the border but yeah we have we have a booth so marking call the CEO is gonna, our CEO is gonna be there. You know, Gary Mick and Greg Wallace. You know, so we we have a team there. So go go to the booth and uh, and uh, you know, some of us in other parts of the world, we we're gonna be joining virtually. So we'll be there. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. Thanks so much for being on here. Uh, you know, it's 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 been great, great conversation. Thank you, folks. Yeah, that was great. <laughs>